Hello, and welcome to episode 106 of our podcast at Human Restoration Project. My name is Chris McNutt, and I'm a high school digital media instructor from Ohio. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this is brought to you by our supporters, three of whom are Jordan Vacca, Rachel Lawrence, and Lisa Sharstein. Thank you for your ongoing support. You can learn more about the Human Restoration Project on our website, humanrestorationproject.org, or find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This podcast is our first of what we're calling the Spotlight Series. Every so often, we'll be reaching out to schools who are doing intriguing progressive practices that could inspire and influence others to do the same. Each has a twist on how their school is operated, and we're bringing in students and teachers to talk about. They're not all perfect, and I think they'd all acknowledge that there are things that they change, but there's so much to learn from these schools as we reimagine education in our communities today. Today, we are joined by students and faculty from Assumption College, a Catholic co-ed 7 through 12 secondary school located in Kilmore, Victoria, Australia, featuring 1,200 students, some of whom board on campus. Assumption is doing a lot of fascinating work that would interest people involved in progressive education and reform measures. In the last few years, they transferred to what they call the MyMap program, which stands for Mastery, Autonomy, and Purpose. Instead of assigning students to traditional classes, students have the option between many different classes that are then mapped to traditional graduation needs. This means that students that have an interest in the arts follow a drastically different curriculum than, say, engineering. To learn more, we're talking today with Kate Fogarty, the principal, Vaughn Cleary, the deputy principal, Kendall Aglinskis, professional practices coordinator and learning leader, and Bell Lescott and Billy Carlin, both year 11 students. All of these folks have been at Assumption before and after this new self-directed style curriculum began. Thanks, Chris. It's lovely to be with you and to be able to share a little bit of what's been happening here at Assumption. So Assumption is a Catholic day and boarding school in Australia. In Australia, Catholic schools are also government funded. So we're not you know, a private or a, um, independent school. We are within the, the system. And um, we have about 1,350 students and about uh, just over 100 teachers and about another 80 other staff on site. We do have day students, predominantly day students, but about 70 students who are boarding who live here on site. So we're just to the north of Melbourne. Um, We're in a country town, Kilmore. Um, A number of our students come out of the suburban areas, but the vast majority come out of little country towns. Um, in about a 100 kilometre radius of us. So a lot of them are on the bus for an hour or so before they get to us each morning. It's a very interesting model because it reminds me a lot more of a like a liberal arts college as opposed to a traditional school. Yeah, we're, we're a big school. We're on a, an enormous campus. We've got um, four Australian rules football fields or cricket pitches, which I know won't be familiar to a lot of your listeners, but are big big playing fields for our students, um, uh, 12 tennis courts, you know, a, a big um, hockey pitch where we're, we've got a big uh, sport and cultural program. We run a farm, so we have an agriculture program as well with large animals and small animals um, from snakes through to big cows and everything in between. Um, so, yeah, we've got a lot going on. We're, we're, we say we're a juggernaut. We're a really big school and we go 24-7. Very. You, you raise snakes? Yeah, I know. We've got a couple. It is a thing. Yeah, it's, um, it's the kids studying to be vets, apparently. Yeah. To take a slight pause here, 
Here's an overview of the MindMap curriculum from Assumption College. MindMap acknowledges that students learn at different speeds and have different strengths. It provides learning opportunities across six semesters or three years that align with four levels. In MyMap, the four distinct colours of our college crest represent the four levels of learning. White is the first level, so it represents the foundational courses assessed against level eight of the Victorian curriculum. Yellow courses provide a more enriched experience and typically relate to level nine. Light blue courses align to level 10 and dark blue courses are designed to extend students and are mapped to level 10 of the Victorian curriculum and beyond. In addition to subjects that align to one particular level of the Victorian curriculum, some courses will be multi-level. For example, a subject such as visual communication and design could be offered to students across both the white and yellow levels. Other subjects may even align with two learning areas. An example is the science of sport, which connects both physical education and science. Subjects like this are designed to prepare students for future courses that have similar knowledge and skills. In this example, VCE Physical Education and VCE Physics. Complementing our academic program is My Being, a three-year program where the social and emotional development of each student is fostered. My Being explores topics such as personal relationship building, learning to learn, food, nutrition and education, safety online and in-person, vocational pathways and mindfulness. So um, about six years ago, Vaughan, myself and, and, and Kendall and a number of the other leaders of the community were watching our student data um, really plateau and uh, not they didn't seem to be progressing in their learning. We were running a very traditional curriculum and our cultural data that we were receiving from large scale surveys was showing, particularly in those middle years, you know, the 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds, they were just getting more and more disengaged in their learning. So we uh, looked at all of that data, spoke to a number of um, institutions around the place and organisations and really reflected ourselves and thought we need to do something radically different here to get our students back on track and really invigorate and, and be able to demonstrate growth for these kids and provide them with interesting and um, exciting pathways. So we put in place some sub-teams um, who were looking very closely at various areas of the school curriculum. So that, that included everything from we were looking at a stage, not age learning. We, we saw some real possibilities there. We were looking at the data that we had available and really how, how well or not we were sharing that with students and helping them to understand their learning journey. And we were looking at just how much breadth we could offer and, and, and really still keep, you know, hone in on those key skills that the, the Victorian government, our state government, but also what we knew in our hearts needed to be a part of our, our, our kids' curriculum. So it really, we, we put everything on the table. We tried to be as courageous as possible, saying we don't have to do things the way they've always been done. Um, we, we, we kept using the mantra, students at the centre. This, this Whatever we do has to meet the needs of our students and help them really engage in their learning in new ways. Um, so that we could, um, you know, really help them to be the best that they possibly could be. 
So, uh, Chris, just to also add in a little bit of um, a background, um, one of the things that we found, you know, at Assumption is that the the narrative that was uh, quite common in the staff is that the kids were not motivated. Um, and, you know, in many ways, you know, the way that a traditional curriculum was set up, um, you know, meant that students really struggled to engage with, you know, with classes and curricula that uh, perhaps didn't suit their needs. So one of the things that we wanted to do is to try to create a program that actually met, um, you know, the needs of the students um, and hence um, the origin of, of my map, you know, really is the work of Dan Pink and his work drive, you know, focusing on mastery, autonomy and purpose. And it really is a take on, you know, self-determination theory uh, from Dietschy and Ryan, um, where we wanted to create uh, an environment that met the needs of the students. On top of that, too, a lot of the research that we looked at, um, uh, such as stage environment fit theory uh, from Eccles and colleagues, you know, basically indicated that the way secondary schools are set up um, were not conduc conducive to meet the needs of students. And other factors such as identity formation, relationship building, etc., cetera, um, again, were just not being met by, you know, what was a very traditional curriculum. So what we have is a, a four-year MyMap program uh, where the students come into secondary school from um, over 50 uh, different primary schools or, or elementary schools around the state. And they um, start a, a semester program that we call Quare, and Quare means to seek. So our seekers uh, are our curious learners um, who basically engage with um, all the different learning domains. And by the end of their first semester, they're ready to select a personalised uh, learning program, you know, based on their strengths, um, interests, um, and needs at that point in time. So what the students can do is basically um, select their own personalised program. Uh, we ask our students to select an English of their choice. They've got, you know, about 10 different uh, types of English uh, to pick from, um, a religious education of their choice. And the same thing, we've got, um, you know, over a dozen of different RE options. Um, and they uh, also engage in a, a mass pathway um, program, which is a basically a digital program that's personalised for them. Um, in addition to that, um, between the middle of year seven right through to their senior pathways, students get to pick about 25 uh, different mastery courses. And these mastery courses um, are not aligned to a traditional year level. Uh, they're actually aligned to uh, a different colour. And our college colours um, include sandstone, white, yellow, light blue, dark blue. And our mantra is as the colours intensifies, uh, so does the learning experience. So our students can engage with um, different um, learning domains with different colours um, at um, a level of their choice. This is fascinating because it's, it's really exploring changing systems that in most environments are not being tackled, especially implementing multi-age learning and changing how we view curriculum and choice. To quickly understand about how you establish those classes, let's say that you have 10 English classes on a variety of topics. How did you then come up with those 10? I guess the, the really the biggest thing when we were going to transition to MyMap was um, the importance of collaborating as teams. And, you know, we needed to make sure that everyone was on the same page and everyone had buying to that vision that we had because, you know, I think that was something that some of the teachers were a bit hesitant about, but I think coming together was a really important part of that. So for the English um, faculty, for instance, uh, we had a lot of meetings with all of us there. Uh, you know, a lot of the time we do have meetings with everyone, but um, a lot of the times they meet kind of in little team groups or things like that. So coming together as a large team for three or four weeks in a row, um, you know, was a time commitment for all of us. And we just spoke about what was working well in the current program, what texts we really enjoyed, what the kids were really engaging with. We did a lot of um, Google Forms with the kids to get some feedback about what was working well, even better if. 
uh, and just some dreams that they had. You know, if you could choose to study anything, what do you think you'd like to study? And so we heard from a lot of students about, you know, um, quest narratives, so adventure stories or science fiction, which we really hadn't covered in the curriculum before. So that was really interesting to us and fantastic. So when we started to kind of look at this, um, the progression from year seven, our tech selection and what units we were studying right up to our mandated VCE curriculum and what we have to do at um, our senior secondary school, uh, we kind of tried to sort out where those gaps were. So looking at what genres were we potentially missing or um, what um, periods of history were we potentially not looking at? Have we got enough female voices? Have we got enough male voices? You know, have we got... Um, people from different cultural backgrounds? Do we have Indigenous Australian texts? You know, have we got Australian narratives that we're hearing as well? So um, we really tried to look at those and had, um, for English, a, a book club. So everyone kind of went, okay, cool, let's go speak with our experts, the librarians who read very regularly. Let's speak to our students about what they're reading and really enjoying. And we were just passing around books and thinking, okay, well, where do these fit in? So the kind of 10 subjects came from um, the thematic based. So we have, for instance, at a yellow level, so a traditional level nine, uh, something called cool to adventure. So it's all about quest narratives. So they watch the film Rango um, with good old Johnny Depp there with the chameleon. Um, they read um, a lot of, yeah, like these quest narrative stories where they're seeing this, this adventure happen and then recreating that. Um, and we found those sorts of things were really engaging to our students and they just um, were able to have that choice with what they were studying rather than, you know, everyone being told you're reading this book, you know, the whole year level is doing it and there wasn't a lot of choice in that. So, um, yeah, that was kind of, I guess, how we came up with those as well. I think what what I enjoyed of watching this process of these new courses being developed was that staff were able to bring their own passion. So suddenly we had science courses or you know, um, uh, humanities courses or whatever it might be where staff are able to share their passion with students too. And very often that, you know, when, when teachers can teach from their point of passion rather than from a textbook or from, you know, a curriculum that's been handed to them from somebody else, that brings a, another level of aliveness for the students to what's being, um, you know, what's being learnt together. So we had, um, you know, subjects being thrown up as suggestions to that there was a committee who were ultimately deciding, you know, was did was that meeting the standards, the government standards? Was it, um, you know, did it fit in with a, a line of progression from the from the junior level learning right through to what needed to be done for the students to receive their final certificate, you know, did everything fit together? But, you know, the, it was so surprising to us, the vast, the, the variety of subjects that our staff were able to take from their own passion or from what they'd been working on with kids and seen a spark of interest in and then create, still sticking to the government prescriptions, um, these amazing subjects. And, you know, we've seen a wholesale change of students flooding into the science subjects in a way that we couldn't have predicted um, because the, these subjects are now tailored to pathways and they're tailored to interest as opposed to let's just do year eight science. Um, so that's been really pleasing to us um, that, that that sort of a, an outcome has come, that people's passion's been reignited from staff right through to students. And I would guess that because there's more passion from the teachers, it's then a more intriguing class because there's there's certainly things that I currently teach that I'm not passionate about. And although I might try, it's still it's still pretty meh experience. Uh, so then you also have this color system that corresponds with the difficulty level of the courses. 
is choosing that difficulty something that students choose to gauge and then tackle based off what they want to accomplish? Or is it a recommendation from the advisor that's sort of negotiated upon? Chris, it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's ultimately the student's um, choice. Um, we wrap um, a series of, of layers of support around the students. Um, and, you know, we've used the metaphor of journey, of, you know, via my map, you know, with our students. And, um, you know, we, we say the adults in the kids' lives um, are their tool guides. So sometimes they need to nudge, push, uh, maybe sometimes hang back uh, students in regards to, you know, the sorts of subjects they should um, pick. You know, we have, um, you know, learning mentor teachers um, that are walking alongside the students uh, along their journey. And uh, because they're with the students from the start of year seven, they ultimately know and love these students um, in incredible depth and um, engaging the parents as well, as well as the subject teachers. So, you know, um, ultimately having the students having choice, um, you know, give, gives them um, the power you know, to make good decisions for themselves. And we know that, you know, every decision that a student makes is, you know, perhaps, you know, ideal for them or perfect. And that's okay. We're teaching this, the, the students to, you know, make decisions, to self-regulate, to have ownership of their learning. And, um, you know, if they do make mis mistakes, that's okay. They, they see out the subject and they pick something different the next time. So um, I think ultimately, you know, in 99% of the cases, they're making good decisions and, um, you know, giving them those choices that works out in their favour. One of the portions we haven't talked about here, though, is we, we are, of course, doing some standardised testing of the students. We have a national standardised testing program, but we do do some additional testing. And one of the real keys to this program working well was the work that we did with learning mentor, more mentors, so our staff, to work with each student so that they understood their own data so they could see where their progression points were against a standardised set of data, so they could read their own school reports from their teacher properly and understand what was being fed back to them, and so that they so that they and their parents, so we included the parents in those discussions, and that happens a few times a year. Um, you know, they're not going in and just saying, I want to do all, a whole lot of sport and that's all I want to do. There are, there are adults walking with them and helping them, you know, make, make wise choices, but also... Um, you know, as, as Vaughan said, nudging them where they need to be pushed a little bit ahead or perhaps even, um, you know, held back in a subject or perhaps, you know, the literacy is not going so well. How about you take two Englishes this semester rather than just the traditional one? So, you know, there is there is a lot of very rich conversation happening around the, the individual student and what we know about them and where their passions are, but also what 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 a whole range of other sources of information are telling us about their learning. I would imagine then, as a result of not restricting the challenge, that many students who are very passionate about a subject, but perhaps historically were labeled as not being able to accomplish a difficult course, are then able to, to rise to that occasion because they have an interest in it. And of course, in the exact same way, if you really don't like something, you can just take the easy course and get it out of the way. Apologies for a brief ad break, but I wanted to share a second about our upcoming Conference to Restore Humanity 2022. If you're listening to this before July 2022, I've got great news. HRP is hosting a virtual conference soon. Conference to Restore Humanity is an international invitation for K-12 and college educators to engage in a human-centered system redesign. 
centering the needs of students and educators toward a praxis of social justice. Through a conference designed for virtual learning, participants will engage in a classroom environment that mirrors the same progressive pedagogy we value with students. After selecting a track, Educators will be placed with like-minded cohorts over four days to imagine and build new ideas together. We have keynote conversations with Dr. Henry Giroux, founding theorist of critical pedagogy, Dr. Denisha Jones, educator, activist, and co-founder of Black Lives Matter at school, and the Circle Keepers from Harvest Collegiate High School, a student collective focused on social justice. Plus, our tracks push a new narrative for education, with topics including anti-carceral pedagogy, disrupting discriminatory linguistics, designing for neurodivergence, and promoting childism in the classroom. It's from July 25th to July 28th, and as of recording, early bird tickets are still available. It's $150 for four days, with discounts available for the BIPOC, AAPI, trans and disabled communities, as well as group rates. Plus, we'll award certificates for teacher training and continuing education credits. See our website, humanrestorationproject.org, for more information, and we hope to see you there. I, I would like to turn to the students who are joining us today. Can you describe, like, what, what is a day in the life like for you all? What are you experiencing? What does this look and feel like? So, essentially, we school starts at 8.45 when we all make our way to homeroom. We get our name marked off at homeroom. It goes for 15 minutes, miss. Uh, we'll talk us through the whole day. If there's any announcements, we'll do the morning prayer. Then we'll move on to period one. Three classes for each subject each week. So um, we'll have period one, recess, uh, period two and three, back to back, uh, lunch, and then period four. So there's only four periods in the day and then. And for, uh, of those four classes, so these are all fairly unique, I, I think. What, what's like one that stands out to you as being especially interesting? So I do systems engineering, which is, um, yeah, just like mechanics and stuff. I find that really interesting. Really, and, and, and kind of turning the same, same question to you, Belle. I like to do a bit of everything, and I found that's kind of where my map has led me. So I did a bit of everything in my map, and now even when I'm in year 11 doing my like senior school studies, I've chosen a bit of everything. So I do, I do two Englishes, English and literature. I do two maths, so methods and we call it further maths. And then I also do a science, chemistry and a PE. So I kind of like having a variety. Yeah, I was looking at your schedules before the podcast and you are you're basically virtual opposites. And what's interesting about all of this is that both of you were enrolled at Assumption prior to the school shifting to this MyMap philosophy. What was that transition like? Was it simply a traditional school day transitioning to something with choice or was it something else? I found that it was a pretty easy transition. Um, so even though I'd, we'd all completed two years of that traditional learning where you got told what to do and you had to pick, like you had to do everything ranging from like drama and dance to PE and humanities, when you had to transition to picking your own subjects, it was really easy because even in those traditional-based programs, you did have your favourite subjects and the stuff, you knew what you didn't like and you knew what you liked and you had interests outside of that. So it wasn't easy. It was an easy transition because you kind of just followed with what you'd previously known you'd, you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming it's the same for you, Bill. 
easy transition over to that? I, I noticed that even when the, the transition was fairly easy um, because the days were still the same, no periods were changing, time wasn't changing. But um, I found in the actual classes, it was a lot easier to focus because you're doing things that you enjoy. Everyone else in the class was doing things that they enjoy as well. So there was, no, there was a lot less behavioral issues. Um, even the teacher was more engaged in the class, I found. Yeah, I, I say this not to take anything away from what you all are doing, but that concept just seems so common sense. When you really cut back on all of this, if you provide students choice in what they do during the day, of course they'd be more interested and engaged in learning. When we remove some of that bureaucracy, and I suppose industry, from the classroom curriculum and change these systems, this idea of, uh, hey, we should just let students sign up for the classes that they want to sign up for, of course leads to better results all around. Let's talk a little bit about the mentoring and class selection process. Let's say that you're interested in English or maybe engineering. Do you have to take a certain number of classes in certain subject areas or are there mandated classes? What does that look like? You have to do an RE and English and then the math pathway program. The math pathway program is also from year eight to 10 and then everyone just pretty much does their own thing. Um, the teacher helps guide us and we follow our own path in that. In terms of the uh, what we have to do, is it, is it seven seven electives? Uh, yeah, roughly per year, Billy. So over the three and a half year journey, it equates to about twenty five different mastery courses of of pure choice. Ample selection, um, but very very small limitations on what we have to do. Which is which is really awesome, and in in the English and RE, you also have a choice. And I would imagine that the English and math portions are required because of standardized testing, which makes sense. And to me, that's that's inspiring because that means that these reform measures are possible in places other than Assumption College. I mean, that's a very common problem in most places. Let's talk then about choice in terms of difficulty. Are you all taking the hardest classes possible? Are you mixing and matching your courses? Yeah, acceleration was a big part, like, in decision-making. So I'd found, like, I knew I was more advanced in, like, certain areas, mainly speaking, like, English. And from a traditional classroom, it's where everybody's at the same level. So you could be in a classroom where the majority are at, for instance, in year eight, year eight English, you've got kids who are year nine or above, but you've also got kids um, who are below. So I found through my map, I could like push myself in certain areas. So I was surrounding myself with um, other students who were at my own level, which made a massive difference in my schooling because you could not only was the classes different and it was more engaging because you were doing stuff that challenged you on a daily basis, but it was also, it was really good to be able to work with kids who were at your own level, bounce ideas off people. The teachers were, it made teaching easy because you were teaching a core group of kids who were all at that same level because it all picked to be there. It reminds me a lot of some of my experiences in school. Um, like, I guess like most educators, I was a pretty decent student. I took mostly honors or AP courses, but I just really disliked science. So I took the typical science class. 
And I never felt like I was in more of a holding cell than that course, because the lack of choice meant that almost no students wanted to be there. Students were there because there was nowhere else to go. I was fortunate in kind of a, a twisted way that most of our assignments at school were able to be done at home. And frankly, I was true it multiple times because I just didn't like going to school in general, let alone those science classes. Uh, a lot of learning just felt like someone was just trying to control the class through a lot of constant work, as opposed to any sense of wonder or discovery or even fun for that matter. It's very interesting how then curriculum and discipline and choice all tie together. Uh, question for you, Kendall, seeing this from a teaching and learning angle. From your perspective, is that transition for teachers the same? Because I would imagine that this may appear overwhelming to transition to these types of courses to some that have taught in a very specific way. Um, I think we were quite shocked at the um, lack of issues we actually had in transitioning um, with the staff. I think we were very prepared in the way that we went about um, I guess getting these different groups around the school to kind of buy in, we did a lot of small team discussions. So really getting those core groups of people who we knew were going to be really important voices in their offices or in the faculty area um, to jump on board. So we really sold it in that way. And when the transition happened, you know, as Kate mentioned before, there's staff members now that are teaching um, archaeology that was never even a course. And that's something they did at university and really loved. And we've got kids that are, you know, just flooding to those courses or journalism, for instance, or things like that, where, um, you know, in a traditional system, you wouldn't have had that opportunity to do. So I think that buying from staff was, uh, was really key. Um, we had a lot of hesitancy in terms of the timing and, uh, you know, teachers, our one big thing is always time, you know, where's the time to do this? And I think they um, were a little concerned about the time to write courses uh, because pretty much all of our courses were going out the window with the traditional curriculum and we were creating these really um, great new um, mind map courses. So while you might have kept a couple of units here and there, largely they were being rewritten. So I think the hesitancy in that regard was definitely present and we put a lot of emphasis in 2020 in our Ooh. first year on um you know, the time for staff and really taking back our professional learning and giving them the autonomy to just meet as teams, work collaboratively together to create these courses um, and the time to also, you know, play around with what was working in those courses, what wasn't and adjust them as they went. So, um, you know, now we're seeing that in a few years, you know, a couple of years down the track and that's really um, evident within the classrooms and how engaged the students are as well. Another thing that was really important, Chris, from a change management perspective is the fact that, um, you know, when Kate and I, uh, you know, were uh, talking to staff about this uh, change program, we're really, really open with uh, explaining the why. And our staff and students and parents have been absolutely outstanding in actually understanding the, you know, the philosophy behind the program. And, you know, once that was um, explained and understood, it meant that the staff themselves could, you know, develop, um, you know, causes of their choice. And um, we also sent a really strong message to our community that um, we are going to eradicate the hierarchy uh, of subjects. Uh, so the first time ever, you know, the, the visual arts teacher uh, was given the same amount of time in the curriculum than uh, a high-performance uh, basketball teacher, uh, and, you know, than a math teacher and English teacher. So... It really did say to our staff that their own uh, learning domain that they're passionate about um, is a, is of equal importance. And I think that, um, you know, really sent a strong message to everybody that, um, you know, they're all valued. So that was a significant part of our, um, I suppose, support for um, our community. 
And I guess the other part of that, you know, as we were preparing staff is there, there was a bit of anxiety around you. What do you mean I'm going to have, you know, 13-year-olds and 16-year-olds in the same class? How is that going to work? And how am I going to manage these kids who are different levels? Um, within about a week, not even, within a few days of us starting, that question just completely disappeared. And all staff were seeing was, the group of students in their class who were there to do the subject. So that um, anxiety around what, what a multi-age class is like was taken away completely, you know, for the staff by their experience. And the students, I know we had a handful of students and families who were quite worried about that too before the start. And that, again, those voices just fell away within the first week or so because these kids, um, as Belle said, they got into their classes, they were there with like-minded students who were pitched about the same level um, in their learning and they had these passionate teachers and these awesome new subjects. You know, you just have to cast your eye. I encourage people to look at our website and cast your eye over the, the names of the subjects and they just are, they're very exciting. They're all still matched to our um, state curriculum. So, they're, you know, they're, they all provide a pathway, but they actually, because they're, they're much more particular topics, um, you know, they, they really just were engaging. So the students... I think students, by and large, have stopped noticing what year level, you know, that they are in. Um, they've still got their friends who might be from the group who they first entered the school with, but there are a lot more multi-age friendships. There's certainly multi-age learning going on in every classroom, every moment of the day. Um, that, that weird distinction of, you know, batching kids by their age for their learning has more or less been eradicated, which... Just, you know, as reflecting as an educator who's watched the system for, you know, a number of years, it just makes such sense. Um, you know, batching kids by their age for a whole range of reasons lets a whole lot of kids down. And this really has, a, you know, as you keep using the word eradicated, eradicated a lot of those um, problems because students are with like-minded students, with a teacher who's, you know, an interesting topic, but they're, they're learning at a level that is pushing them um, in their particular subject. They can double down in a particular area of school learning. They can let go others that don't have an interest or a pathway for them. They can really tailor a curriculum that's going to take them into, um, you know, keep it broad. So, you know, they've got lots of options or tailor it very specifically into an area that that brings them great joy and passion and, and advancement in their learning. Yeah, the conjunction between choice and difficulty level, choice and discipline, multi-age learning, it all comes together. I mean, how are you supposed to learn what it means to be a 16-year-old if you're always surrounded by people who are, let's say, 14 years old? It's just not a natural learning experience. I mean, if you're 25 years old and you entirely exclude people who are, let's say, 35 years old, that would be really weird. And I wanted to ask about how all these different things are coming together. I think someone who listening in might see this almost like through rose tinted glasses, like nothing is wrong, that there's no issues with this new system. Are there difficulties that you all are facing? Chris, so, you know, it's an interesting question. And, you know, to be quite honest, I think we're all pinching ourselves, you know, you know, two and a half years later that, you know, we seem to have transitioned, you know, so seamlessly into this program. We've obviously had COVID thrown at us in, during this time. And I think, to be honest, Chris, if something was going to uh, derail us, it would have already happened. Um, but during COVID, where we did a lot of home learning, and mind you, you know, uh, Victoria was one of the most locked down, you know, jurisdictions in the world. 
that we didn't have one complaint from a teacher or students about a lack of appropriate work. And, um, you know, I, I think we've, we've found a sustainable model and a sustainable framework that's going to be great moving forward. One of the brilliant things about our program is that we know it will evolve over time and it's not going to remain stagnant. So, um, you know, any good curriculum will uh, change. Um, yet we know we've got some subjects that may fade away from the framework and um, we've also brought in another 15, you know, new subjects this year um, that are in, engaging students. So we see, see it will develop and mould over time. As I said, I think we've got a sustainable framework. Um, so, you know, cross our fingers, um, you know, let's hope that our community can, you know, be still doing mind map in the future. Uh, but I think the, you know, the level of engagement with the research and, you know, having really good answers about why we're doing it has meant that we've all focused on the goal of a student-centred education, as Kate mentioned. And I think I imagine there's some administrators or principals listening who are going, how on earth did they afford to do this? Um, we're not a wealthy school by any stretch. Uh, we're very, very, very middle class and even low, low middle class in terms of our families. And um, we, we are actually running this slightly less expensively than we did the traditional curriculum. So our average class size is just over 20. And really what's happened there is it's evened out the class sizes across the school from year seven to year 12. So in the past, where you might have had some really big groups at the junior levels, like 30s, our 27, 28, 30, and then much smaller groups up, up higher because you're offering more specialty subjects. In fact, offering these specialty subjects across the whole curriculum has um, reduced our, our cost of staffing. Um, the, the, the little extra cost that comes in that has obviously been um, a bit over the first few years is making sure we've got spaces set up for all of these different classes. But what it's really taught our teachers is, you know, you don't need, you know, you don't need the textbook. You don't need to rely on the textbook. You can build a really good, you know, rigorous curriculum around a whole range of things. That specialty equipment, you know, multi um, cross faculty subjects work really well. And that has really been another inspiration for a lot of our staff that those cross curricular subjects where resources can be shared um, has been um, has increased their capacity to offer a, a, a bigger range of subjects. You know, one of the favorite ones we've got going is paddock to plate, where the agriculture and the food technology courses are, are running together and you know kids are literally following their sheep from little babies right through to the great meal that's had. Um, and, uh, you know, and the science team have done some really amazing work with across all the faculties building cross-curricular courses. So, um, in fact, you know, um, in terms of sustainability long-term, I don't see any significant issues in that space. I guess really for us it's feeling like the sky's the limit and we're really looking at now how do we build more relationships with other organisations outside of Assumption so that these subjects have even more real-world pathways and whether that's through to university or through to the TAFE sector or through to business uh, or the community sector, you know, we're, we're open for anything and, and actively exploring, you know, all of these options for partnerships in, in really new ways compar compared to what we did when we were under a traditional curriculum. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear because a lot of this type of stuff tends to be reserved for those who can afford it. And your school does charge a tuition, but it, it is relatively at least quite low. Um, I, I wanted to conclude with this because this model, I believe, is worth spreading. There's, there's a lot to learn from this. From the student perspective, you know, why would you all say that schools, other schools, and other teachers should consider this model? 
One of the main things I've noticed with the MyMap program is the connection that I've created with teachers. I've had the same teachers since I've been in year eight all the way now through to BCE. Um, and I've created a bond with them that helped me um, push myself and to, yeah, just to help me succeed in the subject. Um, and even if it's not about the subject, we still get along as, as friends. However, I still do have the respect for them as a teacher. Um, and and they're helping me now through VCE to um, try and guide me through the very tough years of year 11 and 12, even even if it's just giving me an idea of what I should do for a project or um, setting me on the right track to, yeah, they've set me on the right track to succeed all the way through. So um, that, that's my main thing about my map that I've enjoyed. But it is the most engaging school program on offer and that not only does it engage students and make them enjoy coming to school each day, but it also provides them with immense opportunities going further as you reach senior school pathways, whether that's acceleration or anything. So that, yeah, it makes kids want to come to school, but it also benefits them in like ways that are just incredible. Thank you again for listening to Human Restoration Projects podcast. I hope that this conversation leaves you inspired and ready to push the progressive envelope of education. You can learn more about progressive education, support our cause, and stay tuned to this podcast and other updates on our website at humanrestorationproject.org.